Matthew chapter number 4 is where my text comes from. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. The scripture says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that God has spoken to us is important. It's there for our exhortation, our edification, our comfort, the building of ourselves up. And then it says, and then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone by the way the devil is accurately quoting the word here just because somebody accurately quotes the word doesn't mean that they're using the word the right way and notice it goes on he says uh, jesus said to him it is written you shall not tempt the lord your god again the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and he said to him all these i will give you If you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Today we are continuing in our series, Stay Woke. And this was supposed to be the last message in the series. But as I was preparing this week, God put it on my heart to talk to you about the subject, Talk Back. That that sometimes in order to take back your mind, you've got to talk back to what the enemy is saying to you. But um, when I got into the text and I began to study it, I never got to that portion of what God wanted me to do. So so I'm going to do that next week. Next week we'll talk about that. But today I want to talk to you about the very important principle of winning the battle for your mind, and that is to realize that you never fight alone. You never fight alone alone. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this message relevant and real to all of us? Would you help somebody today, no matter where they're at? In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. We have come a really long way in this series. Namely, we have learned that in order to change our lives, we don't change our lives. We don't change locations to change our lives, although sometimes God calls us to different places. We don't change jobs to change our lives, although sometimes God calls us to different jobs. We don't change churches to change our lives, although God sometimes calls us to change churches. We don't change marriages to change our lives, although sometimes it's okay to get divorced, especially if your spouse has cheated on you or beat you or all those kind of things. But well, we don't change our life by changing our life, we change our life by changing our minds. We learn that, that our mind is always the first thing to go, that, that in order for us to get out of a certain situation, our mind has got to get out first. And um, we learned also that the mind is the key to receiving the will of God for our lives, that although God has a will that is good, acceptable, and perfect for each and every one of us, that God's will doesn't automatically happen and come to pass in our lives, that in order for us to receive what God has designed for us in life, that we must take the responsibility and the ownership of renewing our mind. And whenever you talk about taking responsibility and ownership in order to renew your mind, some people think that that is a message that is opposed to grace, that 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 you have to do something to get something, but I want to just make it clear that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. 
There's a big difference between the two, right? We, nothing we do earns God's favor or earns God's blessing. We never become good enough for it. But at the same time, God requires us to, 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 to initiate, to take some effort, to, to put our faith out there in order to receive from him. And when we go to Romans chapter 12, which has been one of our main texts in this scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed, metamorphosis, by the renewing or the reprogramming or the rewiring of your mind that you may prove, better word would be, or experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, the onus and the responsibility of what you do with your mind is on you. That you and I, God has delegated the responsibility for us to renew our mind. And if we don't, then we won't. If we don't renew our mind, then we won't experience the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our lives. And, and, and the reason why the renewing of the mind is so important, as we've learned in this series, is because the enemy attacks, the enemy tries to get place in our life by taking up space in our head or in our mind, that the way that the enemy infiltrates our life is through our mind. He's looking for a weak mind. He's looking for an access point in our mind. And so then first Peter chapter five, verse number eight, God cautions us and he says, he says, be sober and be vigilant. And this is not talking about don't drink. Although as a Christian, we all know that that drinking should be a low priority on our list. How come I didn't get a good amen on that? And, you know, it, it's funny. I, I Sometimes I just have to say stuff because you all sometimes think that I'm, like, so, like, you know, um, not old school. But I'm very old school. My wife will tell you I'm, I'm extremely old school, right? And, and I'm, like, for old school Christianity when it comes to holiness. Yeah, like, you know, I, I'm not into, like, having beer in my fridge. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not into, you know, I just cut it off at this particular. I'm old school when it comes to that kind of stuff. But this is not what the scripture is talking about when it says be sober, be vigilant. It's not talking about don't drink. It's talking about make sure your mind is right. Be, be sober in your thinking. Why? Because the devil walks around or roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for an access point into your mind. And so God is very clear about what we need to do with our mind. And, and, and the devil not only messes with our mind, not only tries to infiltrate our lives through the mind, but this is the same exact tactic that he used to try to dissuade Jesus from fulfilling and experiencing the will of God and fulfilling the destiny that Jesus came for, which was to destroy the works of the devil. He tried to do this by infiltrating his mind and that's where our text comes in the story of the temptation of jesus in the wilderness and although satan did i believe physically appear to uh jesus in the wilderness i believe that in his physical appearance he messed with his mind and the way he messed with his mind was and we're going to see this is he tried to question his identity and your identity is always assaulted in your head not only did he question his identity but but he took him up to a high place you remember he showed him all the kingdoms of the world it says a high mountain there is no mountain on the earth from which you can look and see all the kingdoms of the world that's virtually impossible so what did he do he took him on a trip in his head has the enemy ever got you tripping 
Has the enemy ever taken you on a trip in your head where you are having a, a conversation in your mind that you know is not healthy and that, that conversation in your mind is, is, is beginning to distort your views of things and it begins to manifest itself in the wrong kind of choices and when the wrong kind of, kind of choices happen, the wrong kind of life is lived and when the wrong kind of life is lived, the wrong kind of destiny is experienced and, and so the enemy does this to Jesus and, and I'm glad glad he did it to Jesus because by doing it to Jesus, Jesus showed us how to overcome the enemy when the enemy attacks our mind. And so when we delve into the story, we find, we find some keys. I call them stay woke keys from the wilderness because God wants us to, to stay woke in our mind. He wants us to be aware to what's up in our mind. And, and, and these are things that Jesus shows us that I believe will help every single one of us to conquer or to win the battle for the mind. The first one that Jesus shows us is he, he, he kind of reminds us to remember that he's praying for us. This, this key is found in answering the question, who told the disciples about this, this wilderness temptation? Maybe you haven't ever thought of that. I think of all these kind of things when, when I'm kind of studying the Word of God. I think we should let our imagination kind of just get involved in our participation in reading and studying the Word of God. And the reason why I asked the question, who told them, is because, excuse me, most of wit, with most of what, if not all of what we read in the Gospels are eyewitness accounts of what the disciples saw when they walked with Jesus. And so they record for us. I mean, by the way, did you know that eyewitness testimony is the greatest kind of testimony? You know that, right? And, and so the fact that the Gospels have such similarity and such such congruency with one another is strong evidence that, that, that it, we, it's reliable, that it can be trusted because when you can get two eyewitnesses to say they saw the same thing in a court of law, court of law you win it hands down when you can get four it's just a done deal and so we have four eyewitness accounts of the disciples telling about what they experienced and saw Jesus but here's the thing this temptation in the wilderness happened before Jesus called any of the 12 disciples and so I want to know how did they find out about it and here's the conclusion that I've come to Jesus told them this, this was part of the intimate biography that Jesus shared with his disciples when, when they were alone. You, you'd be surprised at the, the kind of stuff that Jesus will share with you when you get alone with Jesus. When you just, when you just hang out with him, when it's just you and him, he'll begin to share stuff about you that you need to know. Share stuff about your circumstances that you need to know. Share stuff about the people who you're in relationship that you need to know. And, 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 and that stuff happens. And so, I believe that this was one of those times where Jesus pulls them into this intimate biography of his life before they knew him. And, and I got to wondering, when did Jesus bring this up? And I thought, I, I know when he did it. it. I picture it as happening at the Last Supper. You know, Jesus is there and he's telling him, he said, listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be betrayed and, and, and I'm going to be captured and I'm going to give myself over to be crucified. And, and he said, and, and you know, one of you, all of you, one of you is going to betray me and all of you are going to leave me. 
And you remember Peter. Peter was always the one who spoke up first. Peter did not listen to that verse which says, be slow to speak. Peter was just like, I'm just going to say something, right? And that's why a lot of us love Peter. And in Matthew 26, Peter answers and he says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, if everybody bolts when you're captured, Jesus, I will never be made to stumble. And, you know, last week we talked about uh, not thinking less of yourself than you ought. But, but there is a danger in thinking more of yourself than you ought, right? There's that balance in the scripture. It says, don't put yourself down because when you put yourself down, that doesn't elevate God up. But at the same time, we have to have a realistic perception of the things that we are able to handle. So for instance, if you've been delivered from alcohol, you need to know hanging out in a bar is not a good idea for you. Not a good idea for any of us, but but especially for you, right? And so Peter's like, I don't care. You know what? They all might be weak. You know, they, they all might, you know, uh, desert you. But Jesus, I'm there with you the whole time. I remember when I was in Africa one time, I kind of got a little Peter on me. And uh, what happened was we were all sitting around. And, and, you know, when you go to a foreign nation, your stomach has to adjust. And um, we're all sitting around, and, and they had this this stuff. I think I might have told you this. It's called It's called Shito. S-H-I-T-O, Shito, that's what it's called. I'm not making it up, that's really what it's called. And, and, uh, and it's this stuff that you put on rice. You put it on the rice and it's spicy. And I, I really like, anybody like spicy food? I love, I love spicy food, right? And you put it on there. And, and people were trying it and their, their stomachs were getting all upset. And they, were, and they were running back to the room and they had a bad case of extended diarrhea and stuff like that. And so I started making fun of everybody. I was like, y'all are weak in faith. You're weak in faith and you're weak in faith and you're weak in faith. And I was playing. I, I was like, you know, the Bible says if you eat any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. And look at you. You being hurt by it and you being hurt by it and you being hurt. Give me some more of that. That Shito right here. Well, about the end of that day, I was stuck in the room for 10 days straight. Every time I thought I could get out, I'd be like, oh, that ain't going to happen right there. And so Peter was like, you know, don't worry about it. If everybody deserts you, if everybody leaves you, Jesus, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And then remember what Jesus says, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And, and the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to them, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. And, and, and as Peter is kind of overestimating his ability to stand against the mind assault of the devil, because that's how the devil got Peter. Peter was, at this moment, I believe Peter meant what he said. Ever make a promise to God and you meant what you said at the moment, right? And then what happened, when it become time to act, what happened is you got fearful or intimidated and, you know, backed down from that particular thing. And so here's Peter, and I believe he meant, you know, I'm going to stand up for Jesus. But then when he saw that Jesus got captured and Jesus was being whipped and Jesus was being beaten and, 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 and anybody associated Jesus with Jesus was going to die, all of a sudden fear began to play. It's real in his mind. That, that movie began to go off in his mind and the enemy began to mess with his head. Peter lost that. That battle because, because he didn't know how to combat what was happening in his mind. And I believe as Jesus said that and everybody was, you know, kind of just, we're not going to desert you, Jesus. And Peter said it, but we feel the same way. Jesus said, well, let me tell you about a time in the wilderness where, where Satan tried to get in my head. 
And I can picture him saying, saying, you know, yeah, I was in the wilderness and and I, I was tempted like this and I was tempted like that and I was tempted like this. And we only read the last three of the temptations. But if you read the gospel writers, there's a clear indication that it wasn't just three temptations, but it was 40 days of temptations. Because by the way, at the end of 40 days, you're going to be a lot hungrier than you are at the end of one day, right? Like at the end of one day, if somebody goes, you want something to eat? You may be like, nah, I'm fasting, right? You, you're sticking it out with God. At the end of 40 days, somebody throws a cannoli in your face. You're like, give me that cannoli, like right now, right? And so we don't read about all the temptations, but, but you can almost hear Jesus saying, for 40 days, the enemy came and he, he tempted me and he assaulted my mind. And I could see the relief on the face of the disciples. Jesus, you, you were tempted, Jesus. Jesus, you're the the holiest, purest, cleanest man that has ever lived. Really? Like, seriously? Jesus, did you ever get tempted by this? Jesus, did did that ever tempt you? Jesus, we can't believe this because every time time we get tempted, I know maybe you feel like this, every time we get tempted, we feel unclean. We feel like that. There's something wrong with us that, that, that we have to war against this thing. Like, why is it that this thing is even a problem for me? Why is it that, that I feel some type of pull toward this thing? I don't, Jesus, you, you felt that too, Jesus? And Jesus is like, yeah, no, Jesus, we can't, we can't believe that. See, Jesus was trying to alleviate one of the mind tricks that the enemy plays. And, and the mind trick the enemy plays is to get you to think that being tempted in and of itself is sin. If he can get you thinking that just the thought of it is sin, then he can get you to thinking, well, we might as well do the full thing, you know? Because if, if I'm already in sin, I might as well finish the deed and get some kind of enjoyment out of it. Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. The temptation itself is not the sin. It's, the, it's to follow through on the temptation. And so I can picture Jesus kind of talking back to him as they said, you, Jesus, you, yeah, I'm doing this so that you know. And I can hear Jesus kind of encouraging them. And just letting them know, I can hear him quoting Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, before it was written in the Bible. I can hear him saying, you know, I'm a high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses. Watch this. Because I was tempted and tried at every point and yet remained without sin. I can hear Jesus kind of quoting to them Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, before it was written, when it says, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost. I can hear Jesus saying, I'm able to save you to the uttermost when you come to the Father through me because I ever live, listen to it, to make intercession for you. And the first time I ever saw this, I thought, man, this is freeing. Jesus is praying for me. I don't know if that strikes you the same way it strikes me. Because a lot of times when we say, I'm, I'm praying for you, we know we're really not praying for the person that we say we're praying to, right? Y'all know that's the biggest Christian lie, right? I'm praying for you. Right? And I used to realize that I used to tell people that all the time and never pray for them. So now what I do is I pray for them like, like right there on the spot. Because I know that when life comes, I all of a sudden I'm not, not praying for them anymore, right? Now, I, I probably do a little bit more, uh, not because I'm better than you, but because I probably have more time to pray than, than most of you have, you know, because, like, I get paid to pray. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends in the ministry the other day, and we were talking about the Word, and I, I called him up, I asked him a question, and he said, isn't this wonderful? I said, what? He said, we get paid for this. I said, this is great. And, and so, you know, I can hear Jesus saying, I'm praying for you. And that loses impact. But, but it's got to have an impact. Because remember when Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus? Do you remember what he said? 
before he prayed, he said, Father, I thank you that every time I pray, you hear me. I thought, Jesus is praying for me. Every time Jesus prays, the Father hears him. Guess what that means? That means that I'm coming back even after the devil puts a setback in my life because Jesus is praying for me. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as you're going through mind assault. I want to encourage you as the devil is playing tricks in your head to realize that Jesus is praying for you. I want you to take a moment and just envision him in your mind's eye speaking over you and declaring over you that you have the power to say no and you have the power to make the right choice and you don't have to give in because Jesus is praying for you. That's the first thing that I think we see in the story. But the second thing that I think that we see in the story is not only is Jesus praying for us, but we see the second truth, which is we need to remember who we are in not who tells the story, but when does the story take place? See, every, every portion of the Bible is so important. And so we come to, to, to Matthew chapter 4 and we read then, really important word, then, T-H-E-N. It's an important four-letter word. Then the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Mark's gospel gets a little bit more specific. And Mark's gospel says, immediately the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And I want to ask the question, when is then? When is then? Because it starts like that. And then is immediately after Jesus was baptized. And you might recall what he heard. And by the way, the Bible says when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John, it says that immediately the the, the heavens opened and, and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven came and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if you've ever doubted the existence or validity of the Trinity, here is your example. You got God the the Son on earth being baptized in the Jordan River. You got God the Holy Spirit descending with power on God the Son. And you have God the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and he hears this and immediately goes into the wilderness. And what's the first thing that the enemy prods? If you are the Son of God. See, here's what the enemy does, and here's why we lose the battle of our mind. We lose the battle of our mind because what happens is we forget who we are. We forget that we are treasured sons and daughters of Almighty God. We forget that we are kings and priests. And so we sell out for second best because we don't know who we are. We take a cheap imitation of something that God can give us that is much better because we don't know who we are. Go with me to Narnia for a minute. Anybody ever been to Narnia? If you watch the movie, you've been there, right? Your, your mind is taking you. The Chronicles of Narnia, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? And, and you might remember in that story that Edmund, who is one of the main characters, he is under a lot of pressure and insecurity in his mind, probably because he's away from his parents. He's been separated from them. They're at a war far away. He's got this sibling rivalry going on between him and his older brother, Peter, who is a lot stronger than him. He's been displaced from his home. A lot of things have happened that have caused him to get into a place where he is insecure. He's fighting something going on in his head. By the way, that's where insecurity starts. 
starts right up here. And if the devil can get you to forget who you are, he can pull you down every single time. And so from that moment on, Edmund is insecure. But from the moment he steps onto Narnian soil, he is a king and he doesn't know it. And so he meets up with the white witch. And you remember the white witch? And the white witch promises to make him a prince if he will do her bidding. And Edmund, that sounds good to him, but it's really not good to become a prince when he was already a king. He didn't realize who he was, and so he settled to do the bidding of the enemy because he didn't understand who he was. And can I tell you what happens to you and I? We settle to do the bidding of the enemy because we don't know who we are. We don't know that we are treasured sons and daughters of Almighty God. And so he comes with a cheap imitation of something that God can give us and that God has already given us. Uh, he wants to give us momentary happiness when we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants to give us something to calm our nerves when we have peace that passes all understanding. He wants to open up a door. Sometimes the enemy opens doors, by the way. Somebody said, really? But it's so good. Yeah. But sometimes he opens up the door because he knows you can't handle so good. So he promises us this fame and we think we go all in for this, this fame stuff when we're already friends of God. We're already well known in heaven. We forget who we are. And it reminds me of the story of that we affectionately but, but misunderstandingly call the story of the prodigal son because it, it's really not a story about sons. It's a really a story about fathers, right? And, and in that story, there's two sons. There's the, the younger son. He goes and he sins and he comes back home. And when he comes back home, the father throws the party, right? He gives him a party. He gives him a ring. You know, he gives him a robe. He gives him shoes. He gives him the fatted calf. Everybody's having a great time. All the neighbors come over. They're rejoicing because the son has come home. And the elder brother is outside pouting. He won't even go into the party. He's mad because somebody else got blessed. He must have been a member of a church. And so the father goes out, and the father says, son, what's going on? Don't you realize that you're with me all the time, and all that I have is yours. Why would we want some cheap imitation, some bargain price deal from the enemy of our soul when all that the father has is already ours? Why are we selling out for less? The reason why we are is we forget who we are, that we are sons and daughters of Almighty God. Remember who you are. Jesus goes in there and Jesus gets tempted. His mind gets twisted. I love the story I heard about this, this Roman emperor. emperor in, in Roman times when an emperor would conquer a land, they would take the defeated enemy and they would parade the defeated enemy throughout the streets. And by the way, if you understand that, you understand what the Bible means when it says that when Jesus was, was resurrected, that he, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts on the men. Literally, he paraded the demon hordes of hell throughout the heavenlies and made a spectacle of them as defeated foes. I don't know what we're so nervous about a defeated foe all the time is. 
And so this Roman emperor, he, he was parading his enemy as defeated in the streets. And, and the whole city was out. And they were cheering on their emperor. And there was a dais set up. And on the dais was the family of the emperor. And a little, his little boy was there with his wife. And, and the little boy saw his dad coming down. And, and he snuck out. You know, kids can sometimes sneak away. And he, he snuck out. And, and the mother didn't know he was gone. And he, he was trying to make his way to his father. And, and when he was making his way to his father, one of the, the army guys, they, they stopped him. They didn't know it was the emperor's son. And, and they said, son, you can't go there. Don't you know who that is? That's your emperor. And the little boy said, that may be your emperor, but that's my daddy. I want to tell somebody, you have a daddy in heaven who's good. You have a daddy in heaven who wants to give you every good thing. Don't sell out. Don't let the devil play mine in your mind games with you. God's got so much more for you. And so Jesus is teaching us in the story. Second thing on your outline, we just hit it. He said, you have to remember who you are if you're going to win the battle in your mind. But then the last thing that Jesus teaches us is found again in, in, in chapter 4, verse number 1, when it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit hmm, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And, and the third thing that Jesus is teaching us here, and I'll get to it in a second, but he's, he's telling us to remember we don't fight alone. See, why? Well, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And this can at first be a theological conundrum. And it can be a theological conundrum because you can read this, and if you have some knowledge of the rest of the Word of God, you can think to yourself, well, what is the Spirit doing leading Jesus to be tempted? And the reason why that should be a theological conundrum to many of you is because if you read in the book of James, what James says, James chapter 1, verse number 13, it says, Let no man say when I am tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt any man. And so on the one hand, you have James that says God doesn't do that. And on the other hand, you have Matthew that says that the Spirit of the living God led the Son of God into the lair of the enemy to be poked and prodded by the devil. When you come to Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 13, in the Lord's Prayer, you again find why this should be a spiritual conundrum. Because in our Lord's Prayer, he says that we should pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we have the preponderance of Scripture teaching us that God doesn't lead us into temptation, but we find the Son of God, who is supposed to be our example, being led by the Spirit, nevertheless, into temptation. And it can kind of make you begin to question, well, which is right? And by the way, anytime you you have two verses of Scripture facing off against one another and seemingly saying something different, can I just tell you, push the pause button, you're on enemy territory. So what are you talking about, Pastor? The enemy is trying to get you to doubt the Word of God. The enemy is trying to get the Word of God to fight against the Word of God because the enemy can get you to not trust the Word of God. He can strip you of the weapon that you need when your mind is under assault because every time Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. So, so, so what's going on? Why is the Spirit leading Jesus to be tempted? And the answer is, is, is a couple of things. Number one, A, on your outline, it's because Jesus had a unique and specific mission. 
And we read about the, the unique and specific mission. By the way, notice what it says, in, and the Spirit of God led Jesus to be tempted. You won't find in the New Testament where it says, and God led so, so a person to be tempted. Jesus to be tempted. Jesus had a specific mission. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 tells us what the specific mission of Jesus is. I quoted it before. We don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted and tried as we are yet without sin. The reason why Jesus had to be led to be tempted is in order for Jesus to become our substitute, in order for Jesus to be able to relate to everything that you and I go through, in order for him to be our sinless sacrifice on the cross, he had to be prodded. He had to be tempted. He had to be tried at every point and remain sinless so that he could go to the cross and pay for your sin and mine. He had a specific ministry. But then secondly, the reason why Jesus was led is because Jesus had to reverse everything that Adam and Israel put into motion. Augustine said, that the entire moral and spiritual history of the world revolves around two people, Adam and Christ. Adam, who is called the Son of God in Scripture, was given the earth, and he had to maintain the position. He did not, and the plight of the world was decided for centuries. But then came Christ, referred to in the Scripture, as the last Adam, and it was up to Jesus to undo what the first Adam did. So listen to the similarities. And by the way, you can read in 1 Corinthians 15 how Adam is called Adam and Jesus is called the second Adam. How the first Adam was of the earth, but the second Adam came and descended from heaven. And I want you to notice the similarities. The first Adam was tempted in a perfect environment, the garden, and he failed. The second Adam went into the worst of environments, the wilderness, and he succeeded. The first Adam was fed and rested. And when he was tempted with food, he gave in. He, he folded up like a cheap suit. But the second Adam was tired and he was hungry. And when the devil said, here's some bread for you, Jesus said no. The second Adam would not give in. Satan came to the first Adam as an inexperienced tempter. Had never done it to anybody before. And that Adam could not stand against the inexperienced Satan. But by the time Satan tempts Jesus into the wilderness, he's got thousands of years of experience on his side. He's a well-seasoned tempter. But even on Jesus' worst day, he was stronger than the devil is on his best day. First Adam folded the second Adam. Couldn't. Satan came into the first Adam's domain, the garden. And he pulled him down. Jesus went into, was led into the second Adam's, the Satan's domain, the wilderness, and stood his ground. The first Adam fell into temptation and plunged the human race into sin. The second Adam withstood temptation and delivered the human race from sin. Jesus was led into the wilderness to reverse, to undo everything that the first Adam did. But not only to undo what the first Adam did but also to undo what Israel did. Notice the similarities. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and then went into the wilderness. The Jews passed through the Jordan River. First place they stepped their foot on was the wilderness that they wandered in. 
The Jews wandered for 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jesus was hungry and refused to turn stones into bread. Israel was hungry and complained that all they had to eat was manna. Israel complained that God had forsaken them and they bowed down to worship a golden calf. Jesus in the wilderness would not bow down and worship anyone but Jehovah, God his Father. Just like Jesus was led into the wilderness to undo and to change everything that Adam put into motion, he went there to also undo anything that Israel put into motion because they were his beloved and I came here to tell somebody today that Jesus wants to undo anything that has been put into motion in your life that does not belong there because you're his beloved he's the great undoer he undoes our sin he undoes our shame he undoes all of the hurts and all of the pains that have been placed there by the enemy of our soul but here's really why I came to this text and I believe what what God wants to get to you today, and I'll be done in five minutes. Some of you are like freaking out because it's past 1230. I get it. I used to be like that too. Matter of fact, if I'm honest with you, if I'm not preaching, I'm like that all the time. I'm like, hurry up. The third reason why this text is important is because Jesus was led by the Spirit, not for temptation's sake, but for teaching's sake. So what do you mean, Pastor? He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when I got the first part out of the way that Jesus had a unique ministry, and that's not what God was going to do to me, all of a sudden I, was, I started to see, I was able to see the second part of the revelation of this verse, which is that Jesus didn't go and face that temptation by himself. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That although it looked like he was by himself, that although it looked like he was alone. How many's ever felt alone before? How many knows that sometimes when you're going through, that one thing the enemy will use more than anything else is to make you feel isolated. You will feel isolated in your mind. You could be around other people and feel isolated. You could be married and feel isolated. The enemy will get you to thinking that you're all by yourself and nobody understands what you're going through. But then all of a sudden I read the verse and it said that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and suddenly I realized that even when I'm by myself I'm really not by myself because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives and reigns on the inside of me And every time the enemy tries to isolate me with something that don't make sense in my head, I hear something going off in my heart. I hear the Spirit of God on the inside of me saying, yeah, but it is written. I hear something coming out of me to combat the lie that's in my head. And it's a promise from Almighty God with the pure authenticity of the Word of God, which is able to set me free. I hear it is written when the enemy tells me that it's not going anywhere. You're not alone. You've never fought alone. The enemy tries to make you think you fought alone, but you have the greatest partner in all the world. You have a partner who's stronger than you. You have a partner who's more capable than you. 
You have a partner who can do the miraculous. You have a partner that is filled with wisdom. You have a partner that knows stuff before it even happens. And so when you're confused, you have wisdom residing on the inside of you. But if you stay up in your head and you don't get out of your head and tap into your heart, you'll stay in that place of confusion. But there's a power on the inside of you that can cause you to stay woke. There's a power on the inside of you that can wake up your mind to really what's in your heart and begin to lead you and guide you so that you realize you're never alone and when I was when I came to this place and and the Lord kind of made this jump off I thought do I do I preach the whole sermon because that's next week the talk back portion I said but Lord by the time I get to that I said it'll be two hours I said, but I really feel like you want me to teach him about the importance of talking back. He said, no, teach him this first. And then I was debating it. So last night I'm driving to the church. And I'm about two minutes down the road. And and I got my Pandora on. And I got it on Elevation Worship Channel, you know. And all of a sudden the song by Matt Redman comes on. Of all the songs, I mean, it's an old song, right? It's nothing that's a hit now. And here's what the song says. Standing on this mountaintop. Looking just how far we've come. Knowing that for every step, you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground. Seeing just how much you've done. Knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way. But with joy, our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. For you are faithful, God. You are faithful, God. Never once in the middle of your situation were you alone. Never once when it looked like it wasn't going to turn in your favor were you alone. Never once when you felt isolated and like nobody cared were you alone. Every single step that you take, the Holy Spirit 